Take your Bibles and let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Imagine for a moment that I go to your house and um, knock on your door. and It's a planned visit. You knew I was coming. And I go for a visit and we sit in the living room. We banter a few about whatever, you know, sports, weather, uh, latest events. And then I, and I ask you for the most important thing that you have. What would you show me? If I were to ask you for the most important thing that you have. I know that we would probably have a variety of answers, but I believe one answer that if it's not your number one, it would be very, very close. And here's what it would, I think it would actually be. Number one commodity, your time. Because everything else that you think is important is going to be relative to the amount of time that you have to invest in that. You say, well, my family is important. How much time do you spend with them then? Oh, my church is important. Well, how much time do you spend? Uh, my relationship with God is important. Well, how much time do you spend developing that? Uh, my work is important to me. Well, how much time do you invest in your work? Or I have a hobby that's pretty important. Well, how much time do you invest? Do you see where I'm going? No matter what we could say as identifying as you know, this is important, if there's no time involved with it, then... How can we actually say, or how could you prove to me that it will be important? Do you know today's sermon is going to be all about time? We're going to talk about the most twenty, the, 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 the twenty-four most important hours that you can have in the in a work week. The title of the sermon today is called "No Other Day." It's commandment number four in our series of the study of the Ten Commandments. We have looked at no other gods, no other idols, no other words, and today there's no other day. You know, time truly is a gift, and the foundation of our relationship with God is, is, I believe, in direct proportion to that amount of time that God gives to us. You know, time is such a crazy thing, isn't it not? Uh, the Bible says that our time on earth is but a vapor. Here one minute and then gone. I was burning some debris in my yard yesterday, and I was just watching the smoke, and, and for a few moments it was there and then gone. It goes up into the atmosphere and it's gone. God says in, the, in His Word that a day to us is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So time is a really big deal to God. As a matter of fact, He said in His Word, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. So his understanding of time and our understanding of time may be on two different wavelengths. I hope that maybe there'll be something I say here today. And I can can tell you that my heart is really flowing, overflowing, I should say, um, with this text. And so maybe there'll be something I will say here today that will um, prove to be a blessing to you. A challenge even. Exodus chapter 20. Let's stand together. We're going to read verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Six days you shall honor or labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that it is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let us pray together. Father, as we come to your word together, we know that there's going to be a, a lot of questions that we want to have answers to, a lot of details that we want to sort them all out. And I don't know, God, in this period of time, if we can do all of that. But, Father, I pray that there will be something uh, that will be done here that will touch each and every one of us. Father, I pray that this time that you've given to us would be profitable in terms of the economy of your kingdom, that it would be profitable. Father, may you bless the reading of your word and the preaching thereof. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. You may not know this, but of all the commandments, the, the ten here, this Decalogue, we call it, the fourth commandment, historically, has been the most debated, most written upon, has stirred up more controversy than any other commandment. Maybe all the other, the other nine combined may not reach the amount of discussion and interpretation and... Uh, controversy that this command garners. You say, well, why in the world? Well, there have, over the, the course of centuries, theologians have weighed in on what was really going on here when God said for us to honor the Sabbath day. I mean, of all the questions to be asked, some of the questions that were that have been brought up, and well, when was it actually instituted? Because God commanded it here for His people next, in, in, excuse me, in Exodus twenty, but but actually in in Genesis two we see God resting. So when did the Sabbath actually occur? Did it exist before the Ten Commandments, or before, or after? When? Uh, another big deal is is well. Um, I, is Sunday or Saturday Sabbath? What is the church supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What's off limits? What's something I can do? And tell you the truth, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of answers in regards to those questions either because, well, they're still up for the bait. And I got to thinking as I was studying, I said, well, let's as best as we can, that the safest place we can ever go is to let the Word of God answer the questions that the Word of God brings up. And so if we, if we find that the Word of God gives us answers, then, then I'm pretty sure that, that if we use those answers as our guide for the Sabbath, then I think we'll be honoring the Sabbath pretty well. Amen? I just kind of, you know, I, sometimes I just, I, hey, I'm a simple guy. I, I like to keep it simple. You know, my, my acronym is K-I-S-S, keep it simple, you know, stupid. So, but, and I'm usually referring to me when it comes to the stupid part. I'm like, well, if the Word gives us the answer for this, let's just stick with what the Word tells us, and I think we'll be all right. Well, oddly enough, the more I keep, kept reading and praying and studying, 
it seemed like the answers were unfolding right before me. Now, in church history, before I get any further, it should be noted that before around in the 6th century, about 538-ish, it was customary that believers would honor both Saturday and Sunday. You would find, and we have record of them conducting worship on Saturday. They, other pockets of believers would do worship on Sunday. There wasn't any real consistency until around 538 A.D. That's in the middle, roughly the middle of the 6th century. You say, well, what happened there? Well, a group of clerics got together, and it was called the Council of Orleans, like New Orleans. That's the city where it was held. Not New Orleans, because we weren't even a country then. But it was in Orleans, France. They got together, and they had to talk about a lot of things rather than the church. And one of the things they started talking about was regulations. What can we do or not do on the Sabbath? From around that time, from what we call the Council of Orleans in 538 up until now, one thing we've really been good at is dictating activities that is okay or not okay and this, that, and the other. We've done pretty good at that. But somehow, it seems to me we may have been overlooking something pretty important. How many of you ever had a scratch and sniff sticker? Anybody ever done a scratch and sniff? They're pretty cool, right? I mean, you get all kinds of, you know, scents, good or bad, I guess. The concept of a scratch, you, you scratch the surface... And you get a whiff of the strawberries or whatever. It smells good, you know, or apple pie or whatever it is. I, I think like that scratch and sniff sticker, we've just scratched the surface if we only deal with the Sabbath in terms of do's and don'ts. Rather, I think we need to get to the legitimate substance of what Sabbath is. If we know what Sabbath is... I think it would become clear to us what we do with it. All right. Well, let's look at the answer. The text tells us, remember. Well, there's our first word. What do we do with the word remember? Well, I mean, is that a command? Actually, it is. In the Hebrew, the, the construct here for us to remember is a command to do something. And it's kind of like this. If you're married or you have a, a birthday, an anniversary of some sort, and a birthday is an anniversary, anniversary of the day you were born, that, that important day, right? If you say you remember, let's just say my wife and I, we're celebrating, uh, we celebrated 15 years this past year. Let's say like on the, on the, that was a big one. You know, let's say like the, the big one is like 25, right? And, and, and I tell everyone or I tell my wife that day, yes, I remember our anniversary. And I just go to work, go do my thing. I come home and I want supper on the table and then we go to bed. And then next day, have I really remembered it? No. I have. I mean, technically, yes, I've remembered it. But by remembering it, it means that I am I, I am supposed to be doing something. I am called to do something. I need to honor. And that's what's going on here with the words, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. In other words, I'm going to take action upon a day that has been determined for me is going to be sacred, sacred above any other day. 
So that's kind of like the foundation of where we start. We're going to make sure that this is a day that we do something. We're going to remember it, not just mentally, but I'm going to remember it by the actions on my hands. And and what I do is going to be commensurate with the type of day God wanted this to be. He wanted this to be a, a sacred day. All right, so... All right, well, what else? Okay, verse 9. Six days you're going to work, but on, on the, and do your labor. And, and, but verse 10, on the seventh day is, going, is a Sabbath to the Lord. And he goes on. On it, you, you don't work. Your family doesn't work. If you have company coming over, they don't work. That's really what happens here for, for especially the latter part of verse, verse 10, this, that whole sojourner thing. It's a visitor. You know, if you got company coming over, you don't do anything. Well, there lies the problem for commentators and theologians and clerics. Because if we are told to remember, which leads us to action, but we're told to not do anything, it, it starts to butt heads in ideologies, does it not? Because we're told that remembering means I'm going to do something, but here the word says don't do anything. We rest, and then, okay, what's going on here? All right, here's the scratch and sniff sticker. We're, we're getting some aroma of things, and we need to get to the substance. We need to get to really what's going on here. And this is where the Word gives us answers. If you look at verse 11 in our text, for in six days, in six days, the, the, the Lord made heaven and earth and sea. Okay, automatically, he, the, the Lord gives a foundation of the Sabbath into what God Himself did. God is now going to be our example. And, and He created everything. He rested on the Sabbath Day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, well, there's our first answer. If He's basing, or if the, the Lord is basing the concept of Sabbath over what He did, well, let's go look at what He did. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, help to begin shedding light on what's going on here. Okay? Now, the word Sabbath, just so you'll know, the word Sabbath itself means rest. It means comfort. The, the, the word rest means not just lying down uh, and, and just kind of, you know, taking it easy. The word rest also implies a healing as well. Now, let's look, and, and it implies that there is something that is complete. And it's a loaded word here. Now let's look at what God did. If he's our example, let's look at what he did. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. All right, well, this is God. Are you telling me that he got tired? No, he's God. He, he is all power. He is all wisdom. He is all present, all knowing. The key word in this text that tells us that he didn't, that, that it was rest not based upon work was the word finished. 
You want to underline that word because it unlocks for us, I believe, what's going on here as God gives us an example. God finished. In other words, there is a sense of completeness. God said, what I have done. And remember, he said at the end of each day of creation, God looked at all that he had done and he called it good. And then at the end of that sixth day, after he created you and me and all of our ancestors, after he created man and and woman in his own image, he looked upon what he had done and he declared it, behold, it was very good. It was complete It was finished. Therefore, God was able to rest, not because he was worn out, not because he lacked energy. He rested because it was over. It was done. Now, we are told also in the Word of God, and we'll get to that text in more detail in just a moment, but we're told that God said, or through the words of Jesus, that the Sabbath was made for man. That this is really our day. And we just read in, in Exodus chapter 20 that we are supposed to, to honor it, remember it, and, and keep it holy. And if I only have God's actions to go on, then what am I supposed to do? We've already looked at one key concept. God rested, not because he was tired, but because the work was done. Now that kind of plays into what we're doing. The work is done. How many of you ever, uh, have you ever eaten in a Chick-fil-A restaurant? You, you'll notice, I love a Chick-fil-A restaurant. You'll notice that if you go there on Sundays, you'll find locked doors, lights are turned off. The founder of Chick-fil-A, Estruit Cathy, just a, a strong believer. If you know anything about Estruit Cathy, I'd encourage you to, 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 to look him up, read his books, and, and his business models. It's amazing. And one of the, a couple of things he always said. Number one, he, he always valued the Sunday, our understanding of the Sabbath. And he, he would never work on it. He wanted to give that time for his employees and for himself to be that day of rest. He said, I'll work in six days. It was done. According to his business model, remember, he's a CEO. He's out to make money. He's a businessman. He said, I can make more money in six days than other restaurants can in seven because I'm going to honor the Sabbath day. And plus, they just serve some really awesome chicken sandwiches. And that, and that Chick-fil-A sauce, dude, I'm telling you. Man, and I'm hungry already. I only had two cups of coffee, and I'm just, okay. He said, it's rest. It's finished. Now, in our Bibles, there's two big times in which God declared something to be finished. Number one was right here. Second time that God declared something to be finished was when Jesus was on the cross. He said, It's finished. My work was done. Because see, something that we're skipping over is all the content of the Bible from Genesis 3 to the time of the cross. In which time, you and I proceeded to mess up God's plan royally by disobeying His one and only command. Remember, we only started with one. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We messed that one up. 
by virtue of our first parents, Adam and Eve. We brought sin into the world, therefore the curse and the curse of sin, the sin of sin, the punishment of sin. God remedied that situation for us by sending His Son to die on the cross, taking the guilt and the punishment of all sin, of all mankind, of all time, and bore it upon His Son. We call that the atoning work of Jesus, the atonement. He atoned for our sins. And those were the last three words that he uttered before he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Remember, with all this controversy over over centuries, and I'm not here to proclaim that I've got all the answers, but I'm just saying I believe we have enough of God's word right here to provide us a pretty good clue as as, as, as to how he wants this day to be in our lives. first time he said it was finished had to do with our existence on the earth. Second time God said it was finished is to provide reconciliation back unto him so that we can enjoy his presence after we leave this earth. And he says, I'm going to give you one day for you to be finished. And for you to make this day a special one for you and I. Several things uh, happen throughout this th- throughout the scriptures that kind of give more insight. If you go to Matthew chapter eleven, and I apologize if you don't get to these texts, uh, um, uh, that's okay. I'll, I'll call it out. It's Matthew eleven. In verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who, what's that next word? Labor. All of you people who work. All you people to get worn out, who labor who toil for hours on end. I mean, there's something about a good work ethic, right? I mean, even the Bible says, man shall not work, he shall not eat. I mean, there's something about working that makes you feel good. So, but you come to me, all, all of you who work for things you really can't get. Number one is your salvation. You can't work that hard. You come to me, all who are labor, all who are heavy laden. It means you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. And I will give you Sabbath. I will give you rest. How in the world could Jesus make such a bold remark? Well, uh, you can stay right there. I've got these texts coming into my mind, so I'm just going to kind of paint a big picture here and hope, hope it all looks pretty good at the end. This whole understanding of rest and Sabbath, it needed a lot more explanation even for Israel. And so in Leviticus 25, 
we find that God Himself wrote a whole chapter, gave it to Israel, about Sabbath. And He declared that in this whole idea of Sabbath, there's a Sabbath day, right? Seventh day. There's going to be a Sabbath year every seven years. You, 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 don't, uh, 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 you, you don't toil your land. You don't plow it up. You, you let it lay. So there's a seventh day, the Sabbath, a seventh year Sabbath. And then Leviticus 25, you can read it later. Leviticus 25 gives one more big deal. There was a jubilee year. Seven times seven is 49. And in that 50th year, this was the big deal Sabbath. And here's what happened on that big year. Number one, all debts were canceled. Well, that's a hallelujah praise there, huh? Property was restored back to its original owner. In other words, all the wrongs were made right. The Bible calls it that favorable year of the Lord. You already in Matthew, just turn a few pages over and go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4... Um, Jesus is is preaching. Um, matter of fact, uh, um, preaching in his hometown, Nazareth, and um, so I mean he was he got a real big crowd at this one. He stood up in the midst of this crowd, and he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. Not a big deal, per se. It wasn't even a big deal as to what he read out of the scroll. Listen to this. In verse 18, Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives. That was another big deal about that jubilee year. Prisoners had a day of release. In the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This came from Isaiah's prophecy. And what this prophecy is, is a tie-in from that jubilee year in Leviticus 25. And through the prophet Isaiah, he is connecting it by the, by the inspiration of God. He is connecting it to a coming Messiah. That there will one day be a guy to come and actually be a living year of jubilee and to fulfill once and for all, all that that one, one year out of 50 accomplished. So it's not a big deal that Jesus even read from that, but here's what he said after that. Look at verse 21. All right, he rolled up the scroll, hand in the back, and he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. He has just told us He is our ultimate Sabbath. 
That's why he was able to tell us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, you come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He couldn't do it unless he was our rest. And he proclaimed it right here. One more text uh, comes to mind in Isaiah chapter 6. You can turn there with me if you want to. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jeremiah, excuse me. Uh, I'm sorry. This stuff gets pretty exciting for me. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah. In Jeremiah chapter 6, this, this weeping prophet, this guy who was like perpetually sad because he knew the state of affairs. He knew the reality of his people. That's why Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He, he just, it broke his heart to see people suffering. It broke his heart to see the, the disobedience that people were walking in and, and, and being so stiff-necked and hard-headed and In verse 16, Jeremiah 6. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look. Ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. It's amazing. That a day that is supposed to be for us becomes rejected by the people who need it the most. And I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about you and I'm talking to me. We are the ones who have brought more disgrace about the Sabbath than anyone else. I don't expect a lost and dying world to have any regard for the Sabbath. But we should have some regard for the Sabbath. And we are the ones who are guilty. We've made it into days and we've we've turned it into things that maybe perhaps it was never meant to be. And it's, and it's not about all the do's and don'ts. I think it's our understanding that we are failing to recognize the work of God being finished in our lives in terms of salvation. I think we're failing to realize that this is our one day to make a connection that God says is going to be important that was not given to any other day. And so, let me give you, just kind of in closing, I'll, I'll get to just two main points that I think is important for us, to, for, for, for maybe for, for you to kind of rewire your concept of Sabbath. Number one, sacred activities on Sunday are best treated as matters of spiritual maturity rather than a mandate for honoring the Sabbath. Now, that's, this is a, a, an ideological statement, so let me unpack it. Sacred activities, coming to church, Sunday school, committee meetings, all the stuff that we do to, to make church happen on a Sunday. 
These are treated as matters of spiritual maturity. Now, don't raise your hands. Don't give me an amen. Don't give me any type of response because, because I think we all we all want to grow in the Lord. Amen. We do. We, we all want to grow. We all want to grow closer to God. So it is best if we look at the events of this day as a means to make that happen. It's best for your pastor to see it as that day for himself rather than the day that I work. Because if I step into this pulpit Sunday after Sunday and all I get out of this is just another day of work where I'm just delivering a product of what I've been doing all week long, I have dishonored the Sabbath. In other words, the words that I study, the, the, the text that I preach, the sermon that I deliver, I'm delivering it to me as well. You're listening. I'm, I'm hearing myself. These spiritual activities, it is a matter of my maturity. It's, it's not a mandate. In other words, it's not our list of do's and don'ts. Let me give you, for instance, from my personal convictions, etc. I always choose... Even before ministry and, and the time when I wasn't in full-time, you know, paid staff or whatever. I always had a conviction that um, everything on the Sabbath day that was being held by my local church, I'm going to honor it. It was, just, it was just my conviction. So whatever they did throughout the day where I could insert myself, then I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I, not because I had to be there. And not because someone was forcing me. It was just what I wanted to do. Now, what if those activities of my local church change? Guess what? I would change with it. In other words, if they had, if they decided to do something uh, really crazy on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or just change around some things, guess what? I, I just wanted to be part of the local church, the body of Christ. And so I just wanted to honor that. Because here's what I was thinking, and I actually still think this way, for me personally. I mature better by what my local church offers on a Sunday better than what I could do on my own. I, I do. I, I feel like I would have wasted time had I not been a part of what my local church decided to do on a Sabbath. So it's a matter, I think it's best treated as a matter of maturity. Don't, don't look at it as the list of do's and don'ts. If we do that, you'll become legalistic, you, you, and, and you'll be here for the wrong reasons. I'll talk more about it in just a moment, but number two. The Sabbath is best understood as a blessing for man to enjoy a special communion with God and not a straitjacket list of do's and don'ts. So it, it is a time to enjoy a special communion with God. So if we want to look at the do's and don'ts, the guy who broke the rules more than anybody else was Jesus himself when it came to the Sabbath concept. Think about it this way. I've got some examples. Um, this is a list of what Jesus did on the Sabbath that was prohibited in his time in ministry here. Uh, he plucked grain while he was traveling in Matthew chapter 12. That was against Sabbath. He healed a man. 
Mark chapter 3, that was against the Sabbath. He healed a stooped over woman in Luke 13. That was a, in Luke 14, he healed another person. In John chapter 5, he healed another person. All this stuff, he was, it was prohibited. So he's giving us an example. Listen, it's not a list of do's and don'ts that I want you to follow. It is your time of communion with me. That's why we have traditionally, and I believe rightly, considered the work of uh, first responders, doctors, nurses, those special uh, areas that help people. Uh, they kind of have a modeling after what Jesus himself did on the Sabbath. It was a helping of people. And that's why we've traditionally uh, looked at those occupations as, as those that are necessary even on a Sabbath. Because they bring physical healing and, and assistance, things of that nature. You see, Paul also warned that we could go overboard with stuff. We could, we could go overboard on a local church programming things on a Sabbath. We can make, make it too much, listen, I believe, of a burden for you sometimes. Matter of fact, there was a church, uh, the church in Galatia was having an issue with that. They were coming, I think, maybe a little bit too regimented. Now, this just church loved the Lord. Uh, this church, I mean, they had a lot of awesome things going for it. Mature people uh, and everything. But when Paul wrote to him, he was addressing this matter. He wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. He, said, he talked about the observing of these special days. And he mentioned explicitly the word Sabbath. So we've got to be careful as to how we even, as a local church, make this day what it really is never intended to have been. We can make this a day full of meetings and committees and groups getting together and blah, blah, blah. And by the end of it, we've not enjoyed any communion with God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 says that we are to redeem the time. It means we save it. Take care of it. Make the most of our time. In this day of rest, what about that time? How are you treating? How are you redeeming this time today? Hmm? Let me give you kind of two big challenges. And they're kind of in the form of a question. And these two questions go directly uh, with the two points that I gave you. Question number one is this. Are your current practices of the Sabbath helping or hurting your relationship with God? No, the things that, that, that how you just treat this day is it in general? Is it bringing you closer to God or not? I can't say is it treating you closer to God or, or further away from God because if you're not moving closer to God, you're automatically moving further away from Him. So, is it really bringing you closer to God? Is this a day at the end of it when you lay your head on the pillow at the end of a Sunday night? Can you say, "Wow, I have had." an awesome experience of communion with Him. Only you can answer that. I can answer that for you. See, God intended this day to, to mean something between you and Him. And how was that day used for you to make that happen? Number two, do your personal practices offer less than corporate practices? Are the things that you do in your life more or less than what 
we get done here as a corporate body of Christ. So in other words, you better you think you're better off on your own? I've actually been in churches before. I think you probably were better off on your own compared to the worship that was being done that day. Which also brings a good point for church leadership. From myself down to every leader in this church, no matter what you're involved with, no matter what you're doing, make what you do worthwhile for the people that you're serving. I read an article several years, uh, it's been a couple years ago now since it's been written, about the, um, about the increase in the number of churches canceling Sunday night services. Not, not just, you know, not moving to a small group ministry or whatever. I know a lot of churches do that and that's cool and everything, but I'm talking about they just cancel everything altogether. Why? Because they couldn't get anybody back. Here's my question. And this was a question that the article brought up. Were the church leadership or was the church leadership treating Sunday nights as sacred as a Sunday morning worship service? It's a good question. It's a good question. So my burden is, in answering question number two, I want to make sure that we provide on a Sunday night something worth coming to. And, of course, I've heard resounding compliments, especially last Sunday night. By the way, uh, this Sunday night, uh, in our 6 o'clock worship hour, we are in uh, our second prayer session for revival. And I encourage you to be back here tonight. We've got another format of prayer we're going to be doing, and uh, you don't want to miss this. But it's my challenge to, to make sure that Come six o'clock. That if you've taken time out to be here, I want to make sure that by the time you've left, you've been closer with God. That you've had a favorable time with, with God's family. You see, when it comes down to it, when it comes to the whole thing about Sabbath, can I be honest with you? I don't know if it's such a, a big deal about whether it's on a Saturday or, or Sunday. I, I think that, you know, for the, the, the day issue, <laughs> if we get caught up on that too much, you know, I think we'll be misled. All I know is, is that when Jesus said it was finished, it was on a Friday. The next time his disciples saw him, it was on a Sunday. And apparently for them, that was a big, big enough day for them to celebrate. And that's why I want to celebrate it. Not by a list of do's and don'ts. Matter of fact, worship can come in many, many forms, corporately speaking. But it's going to be that one day that you won't have at any other time, save for Wednesday evenings when we have our prayer meetings here and our midweek activities, but it's the only day that you're going to have like this. I don't know what it means to you. 
don't know what you get out of it or don't get out of it. I don't know its sacredness in your heart and mind. But God's word is clear. Everything that he has done on his part is finished. He's done it all. Why don't you just come and we'll enjoy it together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that as we enter into this time of response that this actually would be a time of rest. That maybe the Sabbath that needs to happen now for someone here, man, woman, boy or girl, it needs to be the spiritual rest that only comes through Jesus. Father, I pray that during this time of invitation, God, there's someone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Father, today, they will find you, receive you as Lord and Savior in their lives, and truly find rest. I pray also for us as a church that we not see this day as a day of struggle and extra stress and getting a worship service planned and executed and we get all caught up in what we're going to wear and somebody sitting in our pew. And, but we see this more of a day that with my friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is going to be a sacred and holy day because it it's a representation of everything that's done. It's finished. My battle and struggle over sin is done. It's finished. God has won the victory. He wants me to celebrate it just, just one day a week with other people. He just wants me to celebrate it. Fathers, I'm sure there's some who struggle with that concept. Maybe struggle with priorities and and so, God, I pray that today they will find a Sabbath rest over this day. Father, as with any invitation, I, I pray into areas that are beyond my reach and scope of control. I'm, I'm praying, God, for you to reach down and touch people and speak to people where I, I, I can't be there. But Father, may you, may you give them boldness and clarity to step out, to come forward, to come to this altar, to kneel at their seat, but most importantly, God, to do your will during this time. In Jesus' name that we pray.